I don't need people in town to say, boy, Burke, what a great coach. He's so brilliant. What I want them to say is that guy assembled a pretty darn good group of coaches. Like that guy blew the conch shell, you know, and said Avengers assemble or whatever. That's what I want the credit for is just finding good people and letting them do their job. I'll take that. And I learned a valuable lesson that teenagers are very, very good at knowing when you're being authentic and when you're not. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Shout out to all of the teacher coaches like me who have just finished up the 2020-21 school year. Definitely been one for the books. And if your experience was anything remotely like ours over here on the West Coast, especially here in Oregon, I hope you get back to a sense of normalcy heading into next school year. I know we get to play a quick little summer baseball season, which actually kicked off yesterday with our first game before we take August off to refresh for a new campaign starting in September. My guest today, though, uh, is another Iowa high school baseball coach, just a treasure trove of great coaches there, as you already know. And in Iowa, the high school baseball season is played during the summer. It's pretty cool stuff, and there's nothing quite like it. So thanks for tuning in to learn a little bit from Ryan Burkhardt. But first, a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring yet another episode of the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are giant markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They're truly making facilities better all across the country, providing high quality products and services to recreational, college professional and of course high school facilities fields courses and stadiums throughout the country you can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707 emailing info at nettingpros.com visiting their website nettingpros.com or by checking netting pros out on twitter instagram facebook and linkedin for all their latest products and projects they're amazing and they're improving programs one facility at a time the guest in today's episode is Ryan Burkhart. He's the head baseball coach at Alta Aurelia High School in Iowa, and he's one of the earliest connections I made on Twitter. He's just a fantastic dude. He's recommended a number of guests you've already heard on the show. He's a humble guy, and it's a, it's a bit of a minor miracle that we're able to get him to agree to come on the show for this conversation. But you'll be thankful that he did. He dives into self-reflection, uh, unique fundraising ideas, how he's grown as a coach, what it means to actually love your players, and why you need to be your authentic self. You're going to love him, so let's jump right in. It's episode 36 with Ryan Burkhart. All right, I'm joined by Ryan Burkhart from Alta Aurelia High School. Ryan, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Max. You're one of the earlier connections, actually, that I made on on Twitter, especially for like baseball and then obviously the Iowa baseball connection, which um, we've had quite a few Iowa coaches on here. There's just something about um, Iowa and high school baseball that, that goes really well together. Yeah, I think I had recommended Michael and Casey to you. I would have recommended Fitzy as well, but you got to him before I could even recommend him. There's a lot of great baseball coaches here in Iowa, so glad we're representing well on your pod. <laughs> yeah, it's like a gold mine. Uh, before we get in, we'll you know we'll have a lot of stuff that we'll get through, I'm sure, and a lot of it baseball related and fundraising and life and everything. But uh, before we get too deep into all that, uh, can you explain uh, what Stratomatic means to you? Oh man, um, <laughs> Stratomatic baseball is like 
Dungeons and Dragons, but for baseball people. Boy, I didn't realize you were going to like get me nerded up here in the first 10 seconds. <laughs> we got to set the like tone for who you dice. are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a dice and card game that a man named Hal Richmond invented in the 60s that is still going strong. And every year they put out a new set of cards and <clears throat> the cards are based off of probability and real life performance of players. And you can recreate baseball games on your tabletop. And uh, it's really fun to play with two people. It's really fun to play by yourself. You can play both teams. And I'm actually so into it. I helped our math teacher in his stats and probabilities class develop a stratomatic lesson. And I like <laughs> laminated cards for him. And his stats class had to like make decisions on who to bat in these lefty righty matchups and based off probabilities, what's the better play there. So uh, if you don't know what Stratomatic is, you need to go check it out. They also do football and basketball and hockey, and uh, you should totally check it out. And you made uh, a ridiculously amazing baseball stadium, <laughs> like a 3D stadium that you can use for it. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I have kind of an obsessive personality. So when I get into something, I get really into something. And uh, that's not just baseball related. Um, I went from never riding a motorcycle in my life to owning like three or four within six months because I just I got into it. I had to b keep buying them. And luckily, I have a wife who's just like, uh, just do whatever you want to do as long as you're happy and <laughs> whatnot. So and like I, I can't own just one Stratomatic season. I have like 50 plus. So uh, there'll be something else that will come along that I'll get really into and it'll, I'll go down the rabbit hole with it. But. Yeah, it's uh, it's robust. I remember you a couple years ago. You sent me like a, a box to uh, let me kind of borrow some Stratomatic stuff because I never played it before. It is a robust game. It's not. It's not a. It's not just like an easy little board game. Like it's legitimate. It's it's like the original fantasy baseball, almost like it, or like a roto league, sim league sort of a thing. It's it's huge. It's crazy. Yeah, I like to. I have some duplicate seasons. I, that one I sent you, I've actually loaned out to another guy in town here. I feel mm -hmm. like sometimes I'm preaching the gospel of Stratomatic. I always have my my reserve set and my my duplicate rules and charts and stuff. And so if somebody's even remotely interested, I just give it to them and I say, "Go, you know, go enjoy it. Let me know what you think." I think deep down I'm trying to find somebody else that I can play with. I think that's what it is. I'm just trying to convert somebody so I have someone to play with. Yeah, probably. And now with Zoom being so so popular, it'd be pretty easy to play virtually with somebody. That's yeah, cool. I play online with my friend David. We set our computers up and we he's a twins fan i'm a braves fan so we'll pick like the best braves or twins teams and play a little seven game series through facetime and it's good yeah that's awesome well uh i appreciate you letting me borrow that way back when uh it's yeah. a it's a crazy cool game and I, it reminds me i play out of the park baseball on a computer so it's kind of similar to that but um anyway so anyway happy to have you on the show just thought that would kind of set the tone as people dive in and kind of get to know you uh, a little bit and kind of have that backstory so now uh, why don't we go back to your own um, high school days can you just kind of give us a preview of, of where you played high school what sports you played and what that experience was like for you yeah so I'm glad you asked that question because my I think like a lot of us, my experience does still impact me as a coach, and I try to remember what I experienced when I played. So I grew up in central Iowa. I went to – in Iowa, it's kind of reversed in some states I found out. 1A is the smallest and 4A is the biggest, and I went to a 1A high school in central Iowa called Woodward Granger, and um, I played baseball there. I played football. 
for my ninth and 10th grade years. And then other than that, I, I only played baseball. I, I went out for golf one year, but that was just to get the free golf for the summer. Uh, and in Iowa, baseball and golf overlap. And as soon as those practices started overlapping, I just stopped going to golf. I wasn't any good anyway, but I did get free golf that whole year. So That's a pretty good deal. I really just played baseball in high school. And I would say I was a mediocre baseball player at best. Um, I loved the game of baseball, um, but I always, no offense to anybody out there who's hitting seventh or eighth in the lineup, but I usually hit seventh or eighth. I played second base because I didn't have an arm to play short or third. And I took a lot of pride in playing good defense, but I wasn't a great hitter. It's a pretty decent bunter. Um, but I didn't really play varsity every night until my senior year. Um, I like to tell the kids on my team here at Alto Aurelia, if I played for this team, I don't think I would see the field. You know, you guys are a lot more talented than I was. But I always loved baseball. And when I was a kid, played backyard baseball. If I wasn't up to bat, I was over at third giving signs. And my friends were just like, we don't have signs. What are you doing? You know, <laughs> but I didn't. And we found a picture of I have two older brothers. There's me and my older brothers, and they're both in uniform. And I'm like, between them in my street clothes, like hands on knees, like I'm their coach or something. So I must have wanted to be a coach from a very early age. But um, I graduated high school. And I went to uh, Crown College, which at the time was NCCAA, um, National Christian College Athletic Association, whatever. And then during my four years there, that school transitioned to NCAA Division Three. So that transition happened while I was there. Um, I went out for baseball my freshman year at Crown and then realized I had no money and I wasn't there to play baseball. I was there to get an education. So I told the coach after fall ball, hey, I, I, I got to get a job. I can't play. So I didn't play for the first two years of college. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of if I don't play college baseball, I will regret it the rest of my life. Mm. So I went to the coach beginning of my junior year and said, hey, I really want to play. Um, I know I haven't been out. And this is how small crown is like, it was like high school where you just like, Hey, I'm going to be on the team. You know what I mean? Like there's, <laughs> yeah. there's no buyouts or anything. And I, <laughs> I, I said, Hey, I make no bones about it. I may sit the bench for two years, but I got to check this off my bucket list that I played college baseball. So I will, I will help the team in any way I can. I just, just give me a shot. And um, he was like, yeah, absolutely. So I ended up being our second baseman for two years and a captain my senior year. And was really happy that I went back out for baseball. But during the summers in college, uh, for a couple different summers, I went back and coached at my high school because I was going to school to be a teacher. And I knew that I wanted to be a history teacher and coach high school baseball and specifically in Iowa, because Iowa has high school baseball in the summer. And I think we might yeah. be the only state now that does that. Um, I think so. Yeah. And the reason I really wanted that is because it's really hard to teach all day and then coach a baseball game at night and then teach the next day. <laughs> um, how do you do that, Max? I don't know, man. It's crazy. It's, it's insane too. Cause you like hardly see your family when the season's going on and with, with any sport, it's kind of that way. And then just, I don't know. There's some days when you're teaching and you're like, you're trying to be a good teacher, but all you're thinking about is your lineup and what do I do today? What if this happens? And I don't know. It's hard to be good at both at the same time. That's for sure. And I think we all remember, we probably had that one teacher at some point in our life that it was basketball season and you noticed that class got a little easier 
I don't know. A few more movies, maybe a few more worksheets. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I knew that like for me, my schedule now it's summertime here in Iowa. I'm so amped up after a game, whether we won or lost, I don't go to bed till one or two in the morning. I can't, I, I can't come home from a baseball game and just go to sleep. I'm too wired. Like I said, win or lose. So I don't know how these people in other states, they can just come home from a game, go to bed so they can be responsible and get up and teach the next day. So <laughs> I love summer baseball in Iowa growing up where I'm like, man, school's out. All I got to think about is playing baseball with my friends. I don't have to worry about class or homework or anything. So that was my plan. Always move back to Iowa. And so during the summer, I was coaching back at my old school and getting some experience. And I had the best coach to work under, Scott McKinley. Um, he's fantastic. My favorite coach I've ever played for. And uh, so I learned from him. And one of Scott's – well, it's weird to call him Scott. We call him Mac. One of Mac's <laughs> rules for coaching was – I don't know how many times I heard him say this when I was working with him was, whatever's best for the boys. That's what we do. And there were times I saw him butt head with the school or administration, and he would always say, it's what's best for the boys, Burke. I got to do it. You know what I mean? Like, we got to do it this way. And, and so that's something I really learned from him is like the kids come first and you do what's best for them. Um, so I graduated from Crown and then I played – if you don't – shout out to Minnesota people that are listening. Minnesota has what's called town ball. I don't know. I could be ignorant. Maybe lots of states have this. But town ball is like a big deal in Minnesota. Have you heard of this, Max? I have not. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. So like <laughs> every town has a baseball team and mm. the baseball team is mostly made up of like guys in their early 20s all the way up to like dudes in their 30s. And it's a big deal. So I, I was still living in, that, in the Minneapolis area and I was working for an auto mechanic. And this guy comes in that usually dropped off parts for us. His name was Matt. And he goes, hey, I'm looking for a guy for our town ball team. He played for uh, – or he was one of the kind of leaders of this team in uh, Norwood, Minnesota. And uh, the boss goes, hey, that guy back there turning wrenches, he plays college baseball. And uh, so he came back and he said, hey, do you want to play for the Norwood Indians? I was like, what is that? He's like, it's our town ball team. And I said – yeah, I want to keep playing baseball and my college season's coming to an end and they played town ball in the summer. And so, I mean, they had their own website and everything. And I drive like 10 minutes to Norwood and it's a really nice baseball field. It's where the high school team plays, but all the signage and the scoreboard and everything is Norwood Indians. I mean, the town ball uh, team was like a bigger deal than the high school team. Huh. And we had a clubhouse and there was a, a newspaper for our town ball conference. So you'd come into the clubhouse and pick up the newspaper and see if someone had written about your town ball team. And this guy, Corey, who played on that team, he said, all I ever wanted as a kid was to be a Norwood Indian. I wanted to play for my town. Hmm. And we would play these games and like the whole town would show up. And our big rivalry game was, was huge. And, uh, Town ball in Minnesota, they have a state championship. It, it is, it's unbelievable. I wish we had that in Iowa so that kids, when they're done playing high school, they didn't have to give it up, you know, if they were done with, if they didn't play college. So I played yeah. a, a year of town ball in Minnesota for the Norwood Indians. And then once that was over, we moved back to Iowa and I knew my playing days were done and it was time to coach. So that's kind of my background. That's, I've, yeah, I'd never heard of town ball. <laughs> it sounds pretty cool. It's almost like, 
uh, Legion ball, but obviously way different because it's based on a town and you're playing until you're older. That's pretty cool. Um, I had to sign a contract for them. What? Really? Yeah. I had to sign a contract that said like I wouldn't play for any other town ball team. And, uh, so like on one hand, it's very serious like that, but at the same conversation I was signing the contract, he goes, Hey, do you drink beer? And at the time I was like, no, I don't drink beer. He's like, Oh, then you don't have to chip in for the keg. (laughs) (laughs) And like when another town ball team would come, like one of the kind of, I don't want to say it was like a hard, fast rule, but a lot of times the visiting team would bring a couple cases of beer. Um, but it was very serious in that, like, you don't drink until after the game. It's not like beer league softball. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've seen The Simpsons, like, hey, hit a double, oh, yeah. got to drink a beer on second, nothing like that. Um, so, and like every night, you might face some 38 year old guy that's throwing knuckleballs that just loves, loves to keep playing. And then the next night, you're facing some kid who's home from college throwing like, you know, 82 mile an hour wipeout sliders and stuff like that. So, um, <laughs> And the one thing that that kind of binded them together was we all we're all from this town and we play town ball and we grew up together, you know. So, uh, really really cool experience. I, I wish Iowa had something like that. That's a cool thing. I'm gonna have to look into that after this after we have this conversation and learn some more yeah. about town ball. That sounds really cool. Really really different, but a neat experience, I'm sure. So you, you know, it sounded like from what I could tell that maybe subconsciously you knew you were going to be a coach from the time you were a little kid playing backyard baseball with your brothers and stuff. So, uh, you know, you mentioned you were working as an auto mechanic and then playing town ball Uh, while doing that. Obviously your goal is still to, to coach and, and teach high school history. Uh, So when did you make that transition into a high school job? Where was it? What, What did you do to start out? Um. I had a teaching license in Minnesota, but I, I got my Iowa license as well. And so at that, I think education was a lot different. That was like 12 years ago. Back then I felt like I have to take any interview I can get. Um, it's so hard to get into the classroom. Everybody wants someone with experience and I don't have that. I feel like now there's not as many people going into education. I feel like applicants have the upper hand. So I I agree. You agree with that? Yeah, totally. I sent yeah. out applications all over Iowa, um, was willing to go anywhere, and then uh, was also filling out applications at schools in Minnesota because even though I didn't want to coach baseball there, um, I just needed a job. I was married. I got married my last year in college. I was living in my parents' basement. That was kind of our jumping off point. Um and at the same time, I was filling out an application to teach at an international school in China. I mean, I was bound to determine I'm going to teach. I didn't want to spend all that money at a private school getting an education degree and then go do something I could have easily done without the degree. Um, <laughs> right. And that's just kind of my personality. I will, I will make this happen. I had a friend at the time was also trying to find a job, and we're both baseball people, so our like ultimate fallback was we both filled out applications to work for the same minor league team. Uh, <laughs> me as a, me as like a front office intern and him as a groundskeeper intern. And we're like, well, I guess if neither one of us can get jobs, we'll maybe we'll be poor and work for a minor league team. That'd be fun. Um, yeah, there you go. That's not and, a bad fallback. No, it's not. I, I always, I'm jealous of people who's like their office is like to go to a ballpark every day. That's so yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so my wife and I were living with my parents in the basement um, for that summer. And I was coaching at my old high school at the time. Mm-hmm. Really, 
really good team. That was a fun summer. Um, and we had said, we're not getting pregnant until I have a job. And, uh, I remember I was getting a little freaked out. It was getting a little late in the summer. I didn't have a job yet. My wife comes to me and she goes, uh, I'm late. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, uh, fair enough. And that night at my, at our game, I was coaching, we had a kid throw a perfect game. Hmm. And, uh, I remember in the parking lot talking to Mac after the game, I go, Hey, I needed this one tonight. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. I just needed a good night at the ballpark. I still don't have a job. And I think my wife might be pregnant. (laughs) 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 And he's like, yeah, you did need this one tonight, buddy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, the next day, a school in Northwest Iowa called and asked me if I would come interview. And, uh, so I had to Google where it was because I'd never heard of it in my life. It was a really small school. So I drove up there. Um, I interviewed, and they called me on the way home and offered me the job. And so I had a huge relief. I had a baby on the way, and uh, I had a job in hand. And at the time, they had said that they were looking for someone to help out with their baseball program. And, and Max, I don't know anything about any other sport. Like, I can't diagram right. a basketball play. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I can't read a football playbook. I pretty much devoted my entire life to baseball. So that's the only sport I'm even <laughs> remotely confident in. I always joked that if I was a basketball coach, if I got like assigned to do it, I would just roll a TV in and show the kids YouTube videos of Sean Kemp, my favorite player and be like, just go try <laughs> okay. to do that. That's yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So they asked me, they said they would be interested in me kind of coming on. They had a couple guys that were already coaching. And so that's uh, that's how I got into the teaching biz. Yeah, it's funny. Back then, I, I was kind of breaking in at the same time. And like you were saying, nowadays, it, it definitely seems like applicants have the upper hand because there's there's so many jobs kind of available and so few people that are starting to go into teaching for a lot of reasons. And I remember back then, you know, 2010, 2011, that kind of time frame for me, uh, same thing. Like there's like no job. So I my first thing that I did after after graduating, you know, like you from a private school with you know, unbelievable amounts of student loans to be a teacher. And I ended up for about three months selling furniture at a furniture store. And I was I was really, really quite bad at it. It was commission based. So I made like no money anyway. And <laughs> I just remember like just the whole time, be like, man, if if I can ever get a any any teaching job like i'm i'm leaving like doesn't matter where it is what it is so i ended up teaching at like a little private school taught like pre-k through eighth grade they had me teaching history at the middle school level but there's only enough kids to teach like two classes and so to fill the rest of my schedule i was teaching pe which i'd never done before and kind of reminded me of your sean kemp thing like teaching preschool or kindergarten or first grade PE, like I had no idea what to do when you have a group full of like 20 preschoolers. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with you kids. Like, you, here's you're some... telling me you didn't write elaborate <laughs> lesson plans about tag? Just no, tag. we just get out some hula hoops. Be like, hey, just And eventually I found out there's just this big cart full of like rubber chickens and hula hoops. And, and if you just wheel the cart out, the kids will do whatever. I mean, they'll stay active for, <laughs> for a half hour. And it's like, oh, this is a lot easier. But I remember for, originally being like, man, I've got to come up with something like, you know, I need to have like some sort of, uh, no, you just, just <laughs> roll the balls out and let the preschoolers go crazy. That, but yeah, that things, reminds things me have of, changed. Reminds me of one of my favorite headlines from The Onion, uh, satire newspaper. It says yeah. like, 
local PE teacher creates elaborate game out of parking cone, hula hoop, and Nerf ball. Like <laughs> every PE teacher, they're like MacGyver. They just scan like a closet of random objects, yes. and they come up with some sort of game uh, that. And, and they'll let's say their school mascot's the tiger. What do they call it? Tiger ball, right? They'll just oh yeah, give it a name like that. Yeah, with with the middle school kids, again, I had no idea what I was supposed to do with PE. So middle school kids, we did just a bunch of different variations of dodgeball. Basically, I remember, I remember the worst one we ever did was, remember those scooters that you could sit on and they just oh, destroy yeah. your fingers? You'd like, uh, so we got all the scooters out and we played dodgeball, but on scooters with like giant beach balls. And the kids absolutely loved it. We played it one time and survived. Nobody's finger got crushed or anything. And the kids would always ask, can we play it again? Can we play it again? I'm like, no. I think just the once. <laughs> I think we're pushing our luck if we do it a second time. Someone's going to lose a hand or something like that. It was crazy. Kids going everywhere on scooters. And it was nuts, man. But I tell you what, though. I don't dodge as many things as an adult that I thought I would have to when I was a kid. Now I feel <laughs> no. like if PE wanted to prepare me for adult life, we should have done units on like helping your friends move and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, especially if you have a truck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pick up this couch, learn how to get this couch out of the doorway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, remember the last stuff. time someone threw an object at me and I had to dodge it. Yeah, it's pretty rare, but that's kind of <laughs> what the go to was for PE. You have a ball that's oh, thrown yeah. at each other. Uh, so you end up uh, at your first job, and then ultimately, obviously, you are where you are now. So you, can you kind of take us through where you were and, and where you are now and how that kind of process went along? Yeah. So. I'm trying to think of how to tackle this. I want to be, I want to be diplomatic, but I also want to be really honest, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that first job I was at, I was teaching history, and I was supposed to be the kind of third or second assistant coach, like third on the totem pole. And I was like, sounds great. Um, and then about three weeks before the season starts, and um, that program didn't have a lot of off-season equipment, didn't have a lot of off-season facilities or anything. It was pretty different than where I had just come from at my old high school. And, and I knew I was getting into a little bit of a building process. Mm-hmm. Um, so about three weeks before the season start, the head coach comes to me and he goes, hey, I'm not going to coach this year. I got an insurance job. Like he wasn't a teacher or anything. The other two guys weren't teachers. He's like, so I'm not going to be able to coach this year. And I was like, uh, okay. And the... Uh, School came to me and said, uh, we're going to make you the head coach. And I was like, oh, boy, okay. <laughs> um, and then about two hours before the first practice, the other assistant emailed me and said, hey, I'm not going to coach this year. Uh, mm. I can't do it. It's, not, it's got nothing to do with you, you know, no hard feelings. And so I, like, ran down the hallway to the math teacher who was my buddy, and I'm like, um, can you coach baseball with me this summer? I just found <laughs> out I'm the head coach, and I have no assistants now. And, uh, so he ended up coming on board and it was, it was, it was rocky. You know, I was 23 years old and I don't think I had any business being a head coach. Uh, I think at the time I had seen too many sports movies where, you know, coach comes and that program hadn't been winning, um, where the coach comes in and just you know, turns the whole town around and gets some love in baseball and wins the kids over with some great speech. And mm-hmm. I was, I've always been idealistic. I think that's a youngest child tendency. I'm always more concerned with how things should be than how they are. And I was just completely unprepared for what a long-term building process that was going to be. 
And I think I got jaded. Um, you know, we didn't win. Um, you know, the first three years I was there, we did improve our winning percentage every year, but I just felt like we weren't gaining ground enough and we weren't doing better fast enough. And then my fourth year, it was, it was a really tough year. We went like three and 24. Um, I was just, I don't know. My wife would probably tell you I was depressed or something. I don't want to throw that word around from people that have actual depression, but baseball had always been sort of a source of joy for me. And now it was like, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to think about it unless I was at the game. Um, I felt like I was struggling to get support from the school and from the community. And I just felt like I was one man swimming upstream against a very strong current. And uh, I didn't really know how to handle it. You know what I mean? I think that last season there, I also tried to be something that I wasn't. I tried to, you know, I saw some of the other sports that were having success in our school. And I was like, well, I'll just try to be exactly like those coaches. Like I would go and observe mm. other coaches' practices. Like I was trying everything I could to learn from people there. And I just kind of always felt like a round peg in a square hole in that situation. And so that last season, I felt like I was honestly trying to be somebody else. I was like, oh, you guys win in this sport. And this is how that coach acts. So I'm just going to act like that. Maybe that's just how we have to coach kids here. And it was a disaster. And I learned a valuable lesson that teenagers are very, very good at knowing when you're being authentic and when you're not. And my personality, Max, is I'm very relational. Um, I, I try to connect with the kids a lot. I am not like a head coach who's very distant and cold and, hey, man, I just make the lineup and I'm not here to be your friend. And, and I'm not their friend, but like I'm much more relational than I was that last season at that first school, you know. And so it was coming to the end of that season and – we were playing Alta Aurelia and their coach was a man named Dan Wendell, who was um, always really cordial with me before games. And we just got along really well. And he was about the age, same age as my dad. So it was kind of like, you know, I looked up to him a lot and he had had a ton of success taking Alta Aurelia to state tournaments, won conference championships. And I always just loved the way Alta Aurelia played and they were host. We weren't playing them that night, but we were hosting. They were hosting. Excuse me, our playoff game. They were the host site. Mm -hmm. So he's getting the field ready, and he comes up to me, and he's just telling me, like, "Man, you're a really good coach. Um, I hear the things that you're doing over there. Like, I just think you're fantastic." And I'm like, "We're like, we're at that time, we're like two and twenty-three. You know, I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I might be the worst coach in this country." And I think him and my wife were probably the only two people in the country that thought I was any good at coaching baseball, to be honest <laughs> with you. Even I didn't think yeah. I was any good. I was so beaten down and frustrated. And so we ended up winning that game, that first round playoff game. And then we had to play Alta Aurelia next. And um, they beat us handily. And uh, Dan invited me out to dinner after that, that uh, game. And we just had a great long talk. And, um, you know, I was just feeling at, at the school I was at, I was feeling like I was getting a ton of friction, um, that I wasn't getting the support that I needed. 
And like, I wasn't a perfect coach, but I also think in that situation, my margin for error was very small. Um, if that makes sense. And I don't know if anybody out there listening has ever had this where you just feel like a chapter is coming to a close in your life. Like you can just, all the signs are pointing to go ahead and close this chapter. And, and everybody I was talking to, like my mentors and stuff like that, my baseball coaches I know had said, Hey, I think, you know, if you have an opportunity elsewhere, I think you've learned a lot of lessons. It seems like you're kind of a round peg in a square hole. Um, don't beat yourself up about making a change. And so Dan had uh, said to me, Hey, I really want you to, to be my assistant coach. And, you know, I don't have a lot of years left in this game. Um, my son's graduating soon and he's going to go play college baseball and I want to be able to travel and watch him do his thing. And he goes, I really want you to take over this program, which again, I was like, wow. me? Like you guys, yeah, like, are the, we have two wins, man. <laughs> like you want me to take it over? He's like, absolutely. You're you're the guy. Like you're a great coach, and wow. um, so and, and honestly, at that time, I was by that time I was like 27, and I was like, you know, my plan had always been, I want to be an assistant coach for somebody for like eight to ten years. Like I want to learn everything I can learn before I get take over a program. And because of the situation my first school was in with coaches quitting and stuff like that, like I just got thrust into that head coach role and like I wasn't ready. I don't think it was fair to the kids that I was their head coach who wasn't ready. I don't think it was fair to the school. I don't think it was fair to me. But that's just the situation we found ourselves in. We were extremely small town, you know, rural Iowa high school and somebody has to coach. And, you know, obviously it made sense. I'm a baseball guy. And um, but if I were to draw it up perfectly, no, I wouldn't have been handed a head coach job at 23. I wasn't ready. And I, and I wish I could go back to those players that I had and say, hey, man, I am sorry for the mistakes I made. I was doing the best I could and the best I knew how. But, man, if I knew now or if I knew then what I know now, I could have been a better coach for you. I don't know if you've had that same feeling at times with former players. but <laughs> Definitely. I, uh, I talked to my principal at that first school and I said, I think the best thing – for me is to go learn from a really good head coach. Like I need to go be as this, this is, this is the best thing for me. And, um, you know, I told the school, here's who I think you should get to coach this team now that I'm leaving. Um, and, and also told them like, you guys got to give him a lot of support. You know, I kind of, I had a really honest conversation with the administration there about, you know, here's my frustrations I've been dealing with for the last four years Here's what I think you ought to do to help the next coach. Um, I do want this program to succeed. Um, I, this wasn't my plan. I thought it would be me and I'd be here for 35 years, whatever. Um, but I said, you know, I'm going to make a change. And so I kept teaching there for a few years and was the assistant at Alta Aurelia. And then my family really loved it over here in Alta. And uh, eventually I moved over here to teach. And now, now I teach here and I coach here and after about three years, um, Dan Wendell handed me the reins. And if I'm going to tell you something about Dan, like so smart in how he did this, he went out and he found somebody that he believed in. And then he nurtured me for three years. And he said, like, I want to protect you from all the frustrating parts of this job for three years. Like there was a parent issue one time and a parent came and talked to me as his assistant. And he's like, Hey, if that ever happens again, like, don't, don't talk to them, tell them they need to talk to me. He's like, 
Burke, I need to kind of nurture you for these three years and protect you from all the stressful parts of this job. I want you to fall in love with coaching again. I want you to only do the fun parts. And then when it's time for me to go, then you can take that stuff over. And every conversation we had during those three years was about, hey, when you take this program over and he was sort of behind the scenes handing me responsibility of like off-season planning and I got to start shaping our hitting philosophy and our hitting drills and writing practice plans. And so when it came time for Dan to be done, it was like the smoothest transition ever. Um, when I sat with the administration in the interview and they said, you know, what's going to be different now that you're head coach instead of Dan? I said, honestly, not much. Just whatever differences in Dan and I's personalities there are, because Dan's actually been handing me the reins to a lot of stuff already. and nothing really changed in terms of our drills, our practice plans. It was really just, oh, Dan was a little more uptight about this stuff. Burke's a little more loose about that. Whereas Burke's uptight about that. And Dan was a little loose about that. That was really the only transition. Uh, and then Dan became like my biggest cheerleader. Like sometimes, you know, when you're as success successful as Dan was here, he could have sat in the crowd at games and said, boy, that's not how I would have done it. And that would have <laughs> a lot of weight because he's, he's, he won so much here, you know? he's the winningest coach in our school history. And instead he just was saying like, Hey, Burke's the guy, he's going to take this program farther than I ever could. And all he did was cheer me on and support me. And that also like gave me a nice runway, you know what I'm saying? To get this thing yeah. going. And in my first year we went to state to the state tournament, we won the conference championship and Dan was just cheering me on the whole way. So for any coaches out there that are looking to like hand the baton, like that's how you do it. You know what I mean? Like you find the guy, you groom him, and then you become his biggest cheerleader once once he's in the role. Um, that's the best thing for the kids, in my opinion. I, I can't thank Dan enough for that. Well, there's a lot of crazy, awesome lessons in there, but I just the last one is is I think really true. Just as somebody, so I came in, I was at uh, one program, and then as an assistant coach, and then became the head coach of another program. And I know we say this kind of thing a lot, but it's really true. You, you don't really know what you don't know. You're not, you're not really sure what you're getting into. Um, there's differences at every school from, you know, how they handle something as simple as purchasing something to how they handle uh, hiring people to how they handle parents. I don't know. There's just so much that goes into coaching, obviously. And so having somebody who you can trust, who you can bring in, who you can help groom, especially if you know you're on your way out as an older coach, um, making a huge difference in, in, in that person's life moving forward. And then obviously making sure that the the kids get taken care of as, as they go on, because that culture shock of getting a brand new coach and who knows what he knows and, and everything, that's a huge, huge problem for kids too sometimes. My father-in-law likes to say, your success is measured by the success of your successors. And I think about that a lot. Like it's not good if after you leave things fall apart. Right. On one hand, you're not responsible for that, but on one hand, I think you kind of are. You know what I mean? Like, did you did you do everything in your power to keep going what you've built? And that was something Dan had said to me at that dinner was, Burke, I've worked so hard to build this. I can't just hand it off to anybody. And I think about that. Like, I don't feel like I'm anywhere near ready to be done. But I view it as Dan had the baton and, and, and the coaches before Dan as well. And they ran really far ahead and then they handed it to me. And my job is to run my leg of the race as best as possibly can and hand it off to the next guy and, and hope that our, our relay team is in the best shape possible to win. 
Um, I, I don't view it as when I leave, well, hey, it's not my problem anymore or to, to somehow bask in, um, well, when I was here, we were better. Like, I don't think that's a good attitude to have as a coach. No, it's not, but it happens a lot, right? Where you have a really successful program and then the coach leaves or retires. And then, you know, for a few years after that, the program doesn't seem very healthy. And I wonder how much of that is kind of a direct reflection of a coach, maybe, maybe knowing he's on his way out and maybe not bothering, I don't know, to take care of, of the future of just say, this is going to be my last year. I'm going to take care of me and move on. And sometimes our career as coaches ends unexpectedly. Maybe there's an illness and all of a sudden you got to be there for your family. But my thing is like, if you know the end is coming, you're, you're like, make an exit plan, have that for the sake of what you've built and all the time you've put in, have an exit plan, if at all possible. Um, I think sometimes it's ego, too, that a coach says, well, if they don't succeed after I'm gone, that's just one more shot to my ego on the way out the door of how great I was. And I think <laughs> yeah. we all know ego is the enemy. You know what I mean? It really yeah. is. Well, we had a team here locally in our in our league a couple years ago who the head coach had been – uh, the only coach the program had ever had since the high school was first created about 20 years ago, really successful program. Like he spent his life, like creating this thing and making it really great. And some things happened in the middle of a season and he had to, he was their head coach on a Monday and the next day he had to, he stepped down and had some things going on and the pro like, they didn't miss a beat. Like they had assistant coaches who had been there for like 12 years. They just mm -hmm. stepped right in and the program has never, it's, I'd say it's as good as it's ever been. And now we're, you know, three years out of that, that process. So like you're saying, even, even within your own career, if something like you said happens where you have to, maybe you're not projecting, <laughs> expecting to step down, but you do and you walk away from it. If you've been doing things the right way, the program should theoretically keep on, keep on going. And how, and what, what have you done in the meantime to empower your assistant coaches, um, so that if that does happen, they can take it over. And we need to talk about that because that's one thing I, I love to do talk about as assistant coaches. But um, when Dan left, the year after he left, so my first year as head coach, we, went, we won the, the conference championship, the district championship, and went to state. The best, arguably the best pitcher in school history was a senior. Like he could have, Dan could have said, uh, that kid's a senior. He's like the best we've ever had. I'm going to stick around. Maybe we can, maybe I can yeah, get him yeah. year. Instead, he leaves with the cupboard pretty full, honestly. And that's, that's, yeah, that's well, another thing that's, I think about. I, I sometimes see coaches, they'll have some huge senior class and they'll take off right after that senior class graduates. And it's like, man, mm -hmm. what if you'd have left that senior class for the next guy? Yeah. Talk about like yeah. giving a new coach some runway and a springboard with the community, with the parents, like if you can help that guy win in his first year, you've just given him some street cred. You know what I mean? Um, instead of leaving the cupboard bare uh, for that guy, if that makes sense. It makes a huge difference. That kind of situation happened for me when I stepped in as the head coach at, at South Salem. The, the previous coach did not leave the cupboards bare. We had we had a, a ridiculously talented roster, um, and uh, they were a couple of them were only junior, like were had only had just finished their sophomore year, and like you knew they were going to be excellent, like amazing players, and they they are and and have been in high school too, and yeah, he, it, it it was really nice to step into that and have 
have the cupboard full still and not have to step into a program that on paper looked really good because, oh, they won this many games the previous year. But yeah, but then you step like in the, seven starters. Yeah, yeah. You step in and say, like, well, yeah, that's because their whole team's gone now. Now, now we win, you know, seven games or you know whatever, four games doesn't matter the next year, and then everyone's like, oh, that coach kind of sucks. And it's like, well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's the full story. <laughs> sure. uh, yeah. So let's no, let's get into assistant coaches. So I don't know from from my standpoint, like finding good assistant coaches is is really difficult. A lot of that for me kind of plays into the. Two, two parts for me, I guess. One is the schedule. So if you, you know, if you're, a, if you're specifically here in Oregon, obviously, if you're not a teacher, it's really hard to be off by, you know, three o'clock and be ready for our practices and games and stuff. You are playing your season in the summer. So how does that affect like finding assistant coaches? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, so my assist, my top assistant now is a stay at home dad. Um, his wife's a doctor. He's a stay-at-home dad, so he gets they hire a babysitter when he has to take off at two in the afternoon for that. Um, another one of my assistants owns his own landscaping company, so he gets to kind of set his own hours. And then my third assistant is a college kid who's home for the summer, and he does lessons at a local baseball facility and gets to set his own schedule. So got lucky there. Um, a guy that I had with me for a few years was our high school principal. So that was also fortuitous. Mm-hmm. You know what's I can't stress enough how awesome it is to have an administrator as your assistant coach. <laughs> it just makes <laughs> things a lot easier. Man. And what's funny is like nine months of the year, he's my boss. And then for three months in the summer, I'm his boss. That's that's kind of a fun <laughs> name. So it's a good push pull too. Yeah. He I remember one time he he knocked on my classroom door and uh we had practice that night and he goes, Hey Burke. Uh, my daughter has her junior high conference track meet. Would it be okay if I cut out of practice <laughs> early to go to her track meet? And he was like dead serious. <laughs> Absolutely like my, not. <laughs> my principal is asking me permission to leave practice early to go watch his daughter's track meet. And I go, number one, yes, absolutely. I want you to go to that track meet. Number two, thank you for asking me, even though you're technically my boss. <laughs> <laughs> and then like that same year, we, you know, our first game or two might still be during school. Um, and we had, a, we had our first away game and it was during finals. And uh, he's talking to me in the teacher's lounge and I go, hey, what's, you know, you know, we have this game next week. I want to get out for BP. And he goes, you're not getting out early. I go, what are you talking about? We got to take batting practice before you get on the bus. He goes, I'm not messing with the final schedule. These kids have final tests. I'm not messing with it. And he goes, I'm telling you this as your principal, not as your assistant coach. <laughs> and I said, there's like other teachers in the room. And it was like, I don't know. I, I, everybody probably thought like, oh, we got a standoff here. And I just go, <laughs> well, I'm telling you this as your teacher. I'm not happy about this, but you are my boss. So I will do what you're telling me to do. Um, <laughs> and we hit like two bombs that night, one 15, nothing. Our pitcher threw a no hitter and we got on the bus and I said, you're lucky we won tonight, or I would be really grumpy <laughs> with you. <laughs> and he said something like, see, I told you we didn't need that BP. Don't get on me about this. Yeah. And it was just – It worked out we, pretty good. We were both really good about like depending on the conversation, what hat am I wearing now? Am I the boss or are you the boss? What, what's happening in this? What's the dynamic in this conversation? Um, so back to assistant coaches. Um, we The way we structure our staff is – 
you know, a lot of schools are like, okay, I'm varsity, you're, you're head JV, you're head freshman coach. We don't view it that way here. We view it as like, we're all coaching these kids. What is your area of the game? That's, that's your title. So, um, my assistant coach Dupic, he is our pitching coach and he also coaches our catchers and, um, our outfielders and base running. And my job is I'm, I'm technically the head coach. So I do fill out the lineup card, but I'm in charge of like, I'm our hitting coach. I do infielders. Um, and then I oversee like all the fundraising, all the youth program stuff. Like I I worry a lot about the 30,000 foot view of the program. You know, we're, we're small town, Iowa, our school is made up of two small communities. So my job is to see the program from, you know, T-ball all the way to varsity senior year. Um, but Coach Dupic, he, you know, when I list off those duties, you kind of go like, wow, so Coach Dupic's kind of coaching the team, right? You said pitchers, catchers, base running, and outfield. There's <laughs> not a lot left, Bert. Um, But, uh, you know, hitting the big program stuff, parent relations, um, anything dealing with the school, like that's all me. Um, Josh is kind of our assistant hitting coach and, uh, with his landscaping business, sometimes he kind of just comes to games or certain practices he'll be at and we'll utilize him. Josh is really awesome about being in the, the, me and Kyle are out on the corners during, while we're hitting. Josh is fantastic about talking to kids about their approach or kind of helping them debrief after at bats. He's really good at like getting the kids in the right frame of mind when they go up to bat and then also helping them process what just happened when they come back in. Um, and Josh is also fantastic about just taking a kid over to the cage and practice and one-on-one, like breaking down his swing. Um, I love when I'm throwing BP and Josh is just off to the side, just, just intently watching a kid hit. And then Josh will just step in and and talk to the kid and, and then, you know, signal me to start throwing again. Like he has unbelievable understanding of the swing. So the way we structure our staff is like, what are you good at? Let's make that your job. If that's what you're good at, Let's not worry about a title of head freshman coach or head varsity. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and then Coach Mork, you know, he he works with our first baseman because that's what he plays in college. He coaches first base when we're batting on JV. And he positions our outfielders during varsity for each batter based off our scouting report, how we're going to shift the outfield. Um, and then he, he also is near the managers a lot to help them with any scorebook questions or I score or anything like that. So. Uh, the other day we had a fresh, we call it JVR. It's the level below JV. It's mostly eighth and ninth graders in Iowa, but there's some kids that that's where their skill level's at, but they might be sophomores. Um, and me, Coach Dupic and Coach Mork, all three of them went to coach a JVR eighth and ninth grade game together. Uh, so instead of, hey, lowest guy in the totem pole, go take those kids and go play a game at noon. We're like, let's all make our schedule, if possible, able to be there. And uh, even the varsity head coach is helping coach an eighth and ninth grade game um, because we just feel like that's the best thing for our kids to get them um, moved or developed faster in our program, if that makes sense. It does make sense to structure it like that because as you're talking about that, I saw a tweet or something the other day talking about your – the, our, our best coaches in society should probably be at younger levels. And it yep. like when I, I read that and the, I applied that just thinking in my head of like at high school, like once the season starts, how much is the varsity head coach or varsity hitting coach or whatever you, whatever sport you coach, doesn't matter. How much is that varsity guy actually interacting with the ninth grader 
throughout the course of the season? How much is that ninth grader even seeing him? And I was just kind of reflecting on like my own season that we just kind of wrapped up and I'm like, you know what, probably not all that much. And, you know, we, we try and we try to make it work, but man, if you can, and especially with you talking about even having eighth graders as part of that program, uh, being able to, for them and for their parents to see you with them in games, in dugouts, like that's gotta be really cool for them. Yeah. So like coach Dupic is our, he's the pitching coach for the whole program and Mm -hmm. he works with eighth graders as soon as they come into the program till they're seniors. And like, he is working with this eighth grade pitcher. He's warming him up in the outfield, just like he does the varsity pitcher before the game. He's giving him the same amount of attention and it's a, it's a noon eighth, eighth and ninth grade game. And, uh, th- the reason is that job, he doesn't outrank that job because he's not right. head JV. He is like the d- director of pitching or whatever you want to call him. And so like the other day we had a, we had a JVR game, a, a, an away game, pretty far away. Um, and it just did not work for coach Dupic and coach Mork's schedules. And I said, I'll take, I'll take the JVR team. I'll take them. I'll get on the bus. We'll go. And I coached that game by myself. And, and I could have easily said, like, no, get your schedule fixed. You're our, you're our, our college intern. You're taking these eighth and ninth hitters <laughs> at eight. Yeah, you're the low guy the total pull. Yeah. On, on an hour and 10 bus ride to go coach this game. But I feel like as the head varsity coach, I need to, I need to give my assistants some time off when they need it, when their schedule is really brutal. And there's no reason why I can't coach that game. There's no reason. And I don't want to play that card of, Hey guys, I'm the head varsity coach, so you guys need to go do that. Does that make well, sense? It's, a, it's well, it's a reflection on like teams. So, um, like for example, within our our program, right? So on our varsity team, let's say when it's time to go to the bus, like the freshmen aren't required to carry the buckets, right? So like everybody carries everything, everybody cleans up after games. There's we don't do that, you know, totem pole thing. And so it just makes it's like a huge duh, like that should also apply to your coaching staff too. Like you should, there shouldn't be that totem pole feeling because I think what happens when you do that is then let's say like you're mentioning, you're, okay, college intern, you're the, <laughs> you get to go for that, that 845 bus ride. Let's say that guy ends up having to do that every single time. Then how often is he going to feel comfortable or empowered to come to you or to step in when he thinks something needs to be coached, or if he thinks we could be doing something better, if he feels like he's the low guy in the totem pole, I think ultimately that backfires because he could have some really valuable stuff to bring to the program, to all the players, but he's maybe, I don't know if scared is the right word, but he's, he might not do it just because he doesn't feel like he's valued in that way, I guess. Right. And then as a head coach, you're missing out on some um, expertise that you could be getting. Um, the way that we mostly do games here in Northwest Iowa, I know some of the bigger schools in Des Moines are a little different, but um, we do JV varsity doubleheaders. So JV plays at 530, varsity plays at 730. And Coach Dupic coaches third base for JV, but he's fantastic at our pregame dynamic. And like we have a pretty detailed full body dynamic warm up. I mean, our kids are doing mini hurdles and yoga push ups and I mean, and he's very detail oriented. He's great at that. So there are times where I go, you go get the varsity ready. I will finish coaching this JV game because the best thing for our program is for you to be out there during that dynamic. That is the best thing for us as a program. And even though those are the varsity guys and I'm the varsity head coach, 
I'm going to coach third base in this JV game and finish in the dugout here. So you can go do that because that's what's best for our kids. That goes back to, to coach Mack, right? Whatever's best for the boys. Yeah. Whatever is best for the boys. No question. <laughs> um, and, uh, and coach Dupic, I mean, he puts in head coach hours. I mean, in Iowa, we have a lot of limitations on what we can and cannot work with in the off season with kids. And except for the months of like November and December and January, like you can work with pitchers year round, which is his expertise. So like in the off season, he writes all the pitching workouts. Um, and then I show up and execute his plan. And if you were to walk into the gym in the off season, you might see coach Dupic and go, that guy must be the head coach. Um, <laughs> but it's me, you know, and I, I always tell Dupe, this is like a 51, 49% partnership. And I'm the 51. Because when the rubber meets the road, if we ever disagree on something, it's going to be my call because I'm also the one that bears responsibility. But I trust you as my partner completely. And what you have to say carries a ton of weight with me. Um, and I try to just not have an ego. I don't, I don't care if Coach Dupic gets the credit for how good we played this year. I'll take the credit for hiring Coach Dupic. How does that sound? <laughs> that's pretty good right <laughs> yeah i don't need i don't need people in town to say boy burke what a great coach he's so brilliant what i want them to say is that guy assembled a pretty darn good group of coaches like that guy blew the conch shell you know and said avengers assemble or whatever that's what i want the credit for is just finding good people and letting them do their job i'll take that well, and he may eventually, I don't know, I don't know him at all, obviously, but, you know, uh, for any of your assistant coaches, they may move on one day and go become a head coach at another program. And my my hope is always when, when, when coaches leave our program, I want it to be like a huge gap that I need to then fill. Like it should be a big loss. I don't want to have like my assistant coach leave and have it like, ah, I can just hire anybody. Right. Uh, Cause I'm, I, I run everything. And so you, just empowering assistant coaches is is so incredibly important. And like what you're saying, it almost sounds like a football program, the way you're talking about it, just in the sense of like each guy has their bit, role yeah. and this is what you do. And it's, I think a lot of times for baseball, we get a little bit too caught up in the, like we, we were talking about earlier, the, the difference between a varsity coach and a JV coach and a freshman coach. Whereas like my freshman head coach might have some really amazing stuff that my varsity infielders would, would get, and they're not getting it because we never are together. Right. Yeah. So a couple, I want to tell you a couple stories real quick. We were the first sport, I think high school sport in the country to come back after COVID last year. Mm -hmm. That's and right. um, we had to do COVID testing and there was a lot of like, what are we going to do if a coach tests positive and this and that? And a school board member came to practice. I think he was just kind of, he has his kid on the team, but I think he was kind of watching just, hey, how are we carrying out these protocols? What does this even look like? This is all brand new territory for all of us. And I'm talking to him over by the fence and he goes, uh, what are we going to do if you test positive, Burke? We're going to have to cancel games. And I said, no, no we won't. And I, and I go, if Dupic, if Coach Dupic tests positive, we might have to. And we, he started. I, I kind of started laughing. He goes, "Are you serious?" I go, "Dupe's a lot more important to the day-to-day -day operation of this team than I am." And he goes, "Really?" And I go, "Yeah." He calls all the pitches. I don't know the pitch calls. Dupe's got a crazy elaborate. See, you don't you don't know Dupe. He's the most like detail-oriented, detail-focused, intense guy. Like he's got all these elaborate pitch calls. Like I would have to come up with a system on the fly for our catchers. Because even I don't know Duke's pitch calls because 
I don't worry about that during a game. I'm worrying about other things. I don't need to do his job for him. I don't have all his hand signals memorized and all that. Um, and I think for that school board member, it was surprising to hear, hear a head coach say, if the head coach gets sick, we'll be fine. If the assistants that he's empowered get sick, that's where we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, no kidding. Well, that's what. So we had a. I came in here. I was really lucky when I came in this program because there's a guy named Brett Timmerman who'd been coaching here for like a, a decade. He was the the. I guess on paper he's the varsity pitching coach, but he basically ran all the off season throwing workouts for the whole program. Uh, and then like you, it, it, anyway, really similar like you. If he if there's ever a day where he couldn't be there, and someone else had to call pitches or something like that, there'd be no way because I, like you said like when you trust a guy so much to do his job and you empower an assistant coach so much, like he's gone. I have no idea how to do what he does. I don't even know. Like I, I remember that year, the last year he was with us before he stepped down to be with his family more. Like, I don't even know what the warm up was that he would do. Like you were talking about with dupe. Like it's it really similar with us. It was like, I don't, I have no idea what he does. <laughs> like that's the warm up. So well, it just like, he, he covered everything like that. It was, a, it was fantastic. Here's the, here's the question you got to ask yourself. If that assistant is gone and you could easily just do their job at the same level, mm-hmm. that should be a problem, right? Like, ask yourself that. If that guy's gone and I can do everything that he does on top of what I do and at the same exact level, then either A, I didn't hire well, or what's more likely is that B, I'm not empowering that guy enough. I'm not giving him enough to do and I'm missing out on his talents. I think that's probably the more logical conclusion there. Yeah. I think that's really hard for coaches though, too, especially well, I mean, I, who knows like you, I don't know anything about other sports, so I just can do it through the baseball lens, but just f- from a baseball standpoint, my, fr- you know, when I first took over uh, at the program I'm in, I, like I mentioned, our pitching coach Timmerman at the time, he had he had practice run a certain way, and I remember taking over and being like, "Well, that's not how," and it, it that's not how I envisioned us running practice. He did this thing where pitchers, you, you the whole program would play catch, and then he'd have pitchers and catchers go through all their stuff, and then it was like, "Okay, once we do that, then we can start practice." And it took me a while to wrap my mind around it, and eventually I'm just like, "Yeah, you know what? Let's just do it the way you've done it because it sounds all right." Turned out to be the most amazing thing ever. But same thing, if I hadn't, and not that I was a good coach, I'm still not. But if I had a little bit bigger of an ego, I would have just been like, "No, that's not how we're going to run practice. We're going to do it my way." And then by doing that, maybe I hurt this relationship. Maybe this guy ends up not being as all in as he was before, and maybe we're hurting our kids. We're not doing what's best for the boys, that sort of a thing. And so. I think in baseball, it can be really hard to let that ego go because in baseball, there's all these philosophies of exactly how I want hitting to be and how I envision our pitching and how I want our base running to go. And you can have, I've kind of learned, you can have those overall philosophies in your program, but you can let someone else take control of it and take charge of it and carry it out. And you can have conversations with and them. It. Yeah. And it'll all be fine. But if you don't give them that power well, or empower them to do that, like, Think of it for them. That job's going to suck for you showing up every day and just feeling like you have no, you have no say in things. Right. And so, I mean, and I'm not, my ego is, I battle it like everybody else. So towards the end of last season, um, Dupe and I are sitting on his front porch, staring out at the lake here. And he says, I think you need to let Josh take over more of the hitting. Hmm. And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, 
I think Josh is really good, and I don't think you're giving him enough responsibility. I think you need to tap into it more. And my ego kind of flared up, and <laughs> yeah, I said, I, "I said, Dupic, I've already handed you so much responsibility." I said, "I work with infielders and hitting." I go, if I give Josh hitting, what do I do in this program? <laughs> and, but like, I wasn't joking. I was like frustrated. Yeah, right. And Duke just goes, don't you get it? You're the one that brought us all together. Nobody else could have done that, Burke. He's like, nobody else can run this team and like see it from 30,000 feet and like empower people like you. That's what you do. So he's like, don't worry about that. And it was like my ego flaring up of like, and honestly, we've been setting records in hitting the last couple seasons, you know? Um, people will go on stats right now and check me out this year. Yeah, we're not hitting the ball like we have, but the last couple of years we've set school records. And so my ego is like, hey, I'm a pretty good hitting coach. Why do I need to give up that? <laughs> and he was like, basically like, because Josh is great and we got to empower Josh. And he was right. Like, Josh is fantastic. And um, so we started looping Josh in more on like, Josh, what drills do you want to do at practice tomorrow? Josh, what are you seeing from our hitters? That's not good. And what drills do you think would fix that? And let's put it in the, and then also like there were times I let Josh just take varsity and hit with them. And I was overthrowing BP to eighth and ninth graders in the cage as the head varsity coach, mm. because, you know, I had to, I had to check my ego and listen to what dupe was really telling me. And I had a professor in college that said, you know, when you get criticism, it's like it's like buying a pair of shoes. Put them on, walk up and down the aisle. If they fit, take them home. The criticism is right. If they don't fit, put it back on the shelf and don't forget it and, and don't worry about it. And, you know, I kind of when when Dupic said that about you need to empower Josh more, give him more responsibility over hitting. I put the shoes on. I walked up and down the aisle and I was like, dang, I think these fit. I need to buy them. You know, <laughs> so that's what I did. Well, and that in. in- yeah. By doing that, it then empowers you to take care of all the other things that go into coaching that you to head coaching that you mentioned earlier, right? So you've got all these other things that you have to worry about that your assistants don't necessarily have to worry about that it's all on your plate sort of. And I right. want, before we get you out, one thing I definitely want to hit on because I think you have a ton of value to offer coaches is is fundraising and how how you can come up with unique ways for a program to raise some money. Because I, I even had a coach a while back email me or DM me on Twitter and ask me about, and I was, I think I gave him your name and just said, yeah. go ask Burke. Cause this is, <laughs> he, he's way more creative than I am. We're out here just like doing GoFundMe type stuff. Um, and so I, I just wanted to give you a chance to like share some of the cool stuff you've done for fundraising. Um, like the game ball thing that someone could do that in basketball, like it would still work fine in other sports. So just, can you kind of go into some of the fundraising, unique fundraising things that you guys have done? Yeah. I'm just, I'm always stealing ideas from people. The game ball thing came from the head coach at Wilton. So during COVID shutdown, Iowa baseball coaches were organizing these virtual like zoom coaching clinics. And I ended up in a coaching zoom coaching clinic with like 20 high school baseball coaches in Iowa. And the head coach from Wilton had said, um, we just have local businesses sponsor our game balls and for 50 bucks or whatever it is, a box of diamond baseballs, whatever that costs. He said, we just announced at the game that night who has sponsored the game balls. And he goes, it's super easy. And I was like, man, light bulb moment there. Um, <laughs> Cause the school gives us X amount of game balls for the season. But if every business also buys you a box, you just doubled the amount of baseballs right there. And so I went on our Facebook group, which, 
um, I think I do a pretty good job with our Facebook group of like keeping people connected and, and growing that thing. And so I go on our Facebook group and said, this year at Warrior Home Games, we are going to have businesses sponsor the game balls. And for $50, you can sponsor the game balls that night. And it, it doesn't mean we don't put their logo on the ball or anything. We just announced that tonight's game balls were sponsored by so-and-so and this business and that business. And we have uh, like 13 home games, I think. And within like an hour, I sold them all out. I mean, mm-hmm. people, my phone was blown up. Coach, I want to sponsor. Coach, I want to sponsor. And some people were like, you got to charge more than 50 bucks. And I was like, yeah, maybe. But I wanted to pick a number that they wouldn't even balk at. Like they wouldn't even think twice. Um, and I sold out of game ball sponsorships. Boom. That's what's, uh, you know, that's roughly 700 bucks right there, right? My math isn't great, but 13 home games. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, whatever that is. And then, yeah, whatever that is. Math teachers out there are cringing. <laughs> um, and then... I had businesses going, Hey, I want to sponsor game balls. And I'm like, Hey, sorry, I'm out at home games. And they said, find something else for me to sponsor. And <laughs> what a good question. <laughs> yeah. Like, All right. Sure. So okay. <laughs> I go, give me 24 hours. Let me think, yeah. you know? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and then I go, I got it. So I go on Amazon and for a hundred bucks, my wife and I, we just, this is our little donation of the program. We bought an outdoor like love seat and coffee table. And we put that every home game right outside the fence just by our dugout, like by the backstop, you know, where a lot of the high school kids sit. And we call it the Warrior Fan Zone. And for 50 bucks, your business can sponsor the Warrior Fan Zone each night. And I I bought a whiteboard and there's a whiteboard that goes up next to it that says which business is sponsoring it. And then um, our PA guy three or four times during the night mentions who sponsored the game balls, who sponsored the fan zone. I put it on our Facebook page so they get some online publicity. And again, I sold out of that within an hour or two. And so that was probably the easiest um, $1,300 or $1,400 I've ever fundraised. They came to me. And part of my game day responsibilities, again, I'm not in school, which is a benefit. I just go up to the field early. I set the couch and the coffee table out. I put the whiteboard up with who's sponsoring. I take my pictures. I put it on Facebook. And then I, I, in the press box, I, I have a, a fresh copy every game of, for the announcer of who's sponsoring what, if that makes sense. And um, I, businesses, if they have their own yard signs, they're allowed to, to put them up around the couch if they want. Um, and people sit there right next to our dugout and cheer on the kids and they get to sit on a nice couch and watch a baseball game. So um, that's, that's something we do. Um, we... I got this idea from, I don't know, I think it's a school in Northwest Iowa. We sell water softener salt and Barda and Clunder are going to make fun of me. They make fun of me for Hawkins salt all the time, man. (laughs) Um, I get roasted in the group text for, oh, Burke and his endless bags of salt. So in the fall, we sell bags of water softener salt to our community. And I called around to all the local businesses that offer water softener salt and said, hey, I'm going to be buying a lot of salt what's the best price you can give me? I'm going to go with whatever store gives me the lowest. And a farm, a farm supply store here uh, locally said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the bags of salt for whatever the cheapest is we've sold them in the last year. So whatever our biggest sale was. So they came back to me and they said, I'll sell them to you for $4 and 39 cents a bag. And this is like a 40 pound bag or something. I said, great, you're the lowest price. I'll do it. And so I sell it to our community at seven seventy five a bag. 
Um, why not eight? Because I don't know. Eight dollars seems like a lot, and seven seventy-five doesn't. That's why I don't know. It's just <laughs> sure. weird. Salesman psychology. Um, you, you're a you're a former furniture salesman. You know this. Yeah. One ninety-nine <laughs> looks better than two hundred. It does. It back, does. Back, when you were, back when you were slinging Lazy Boys in the greater Salem area. <laughs> um, so, uh, the bo- the, and this is another thing that I love to do with fundraising. It doesn't involve the boys selling anything. I don't yeah. ask them to go door to door. I don't ask them to do anything um, except for I need you guys for two hours on a Saturday to deliver. So for seven seventy five. You get pellets or crystals. Max, we're dealing in both here, pellets or crystals. <laughs> you guys um, are crazy. Yeah. You get pellets or crystals delivered to your house, and the boys will carry them down into your basement and stack it by your water softener or whatever it is you want them. Um, and people love this because you know what people hate, Max? Carrying 40-pound bags of salt down their stairs. They hate it. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people actually buy it for their elderly parents. And the people are like, sure. I'm the one that has to carry the salt into grandpa's basement. So I'll just pay the bill and you guys do it. So um, I take orders for about a month or six weeks. I sell at football games, all that stuff. And then I get my spreadsheet. I get, you know, I get our route and, and, and I'll sell to like anybody in the local towns. Like I've driven 30 minutes to deliver a bag of salt before. Um, we get our route set. I get a couple of we're, we're a rural community, so a couple of dads hook me up with some flatbed trailers for some with some trucks, and for two hours on a Saturday, we split up into two teams, a coach with each group, and we just deliver salt. And like, I tell you what, man, we can roll up to your house and get thirteen bags into your basement stacked, and we're out the door in three minutes because each kid takes one bag. We're in and out, and it's been a big hit. People love it. We make over a thousand dollars every year on that. I keep my spreadsheet so I can with my address and phone number so I can hit you up next year. Hey, would you like to do that salt? Little trick up my sleeve I've got this year. I noticed quite a few people are ordering 10 bags of salt, not 12. So if, if you order 12 this next year, I'm going to give you a 13th bag for free. I just noticed ah. that 10 was, 10 was a common number. And I'm like, how do I get these people to buy two more bags? Well, I'll offer them a third bag. That's what I'll do. Um, so that's been a great fundraiser for us. We do a clothing order like I'm sure every high school does. Mm-hmm. Um, we just did a fundraiser yesterday. We're doing a big stadium renovation project. I went to the local car dealer uh, and said, and I said, hey, I want to talk to the manager. They let me in. I go sit down in the manager's office. I said, here's what I'm proposing. Um, we do a test drive day where uh, we pick a Saturday in the summer. And for every Alta Aurelia person that comes over and test drives and fills out a sheet with their name and information so that you can get them on your advertising list and email list, I said, you donate X amount of dollars back to our stadium project. And I'll get as many people in the door test driving your cars and getting them your information, like so you can email them and stuff. And, and he kind of sat back in his chair and he's like, yeah, I like this. I think yeah, this would be good. And I said, he goes, I think I want to put a cap on the donation because I don't know how many people you'll get. And I said, that works for me. I don't, the numbers are relevant. I'll take whatever donation you're willing to make because it's better than zero, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe I can help you sell a few cars. And he goes, yeah, if I sell any cars off it, I'll donate, I'll kick in even more. And then he kind of took it and ran with it. And he called me a week later and he said, I got the Iowa pork producers coming. They're going to serve free lunch that day. So <laughs> yesterday, you know, and for the last couple of weeks, I've been advertising to our community Go get a free lunch, test drive a car, and help us get a donation. And so I went over there yesterday and had my pork burger and test drove a brand new truck. And uh, we'll get together this week and see what what we actually were able to generate. But um, that's a way that a local business says, hey, this is good for me and it's good for this baseball program. You know, Um, 
So I, that's one thing that goes through my mind as well is how do I help someone? How do I help someone donate? And also it helps them in the same, in the same token. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think for businesses, that's a, that's an awesome draw because I think a lot of businesses are so used to teams and people coming to them and just asking for a donation. And if you can add anything to it, like even something as simple, like you mentioned as game balls, like awesome. Like it adds, just adds a little bit more professionalism to the deal and makes them more likely to do something with it. So, and then, you know, obviously test driving or something like that's going to create business for the guy too. And I think people underestimate how much local businesses do want to support kids. Mm -hmm. And so when you can help them see how what they're doing helps the kids and you're not just, I don't know, a coach walking into their business saying, give me money. I mean, I wouldn't want to give to that either. Uh, I'm in the middle of this big fundraising project for the stadium thing. And I had somebody who's done some fundraising. They gave me some advice. They said, People don't really care how bad you need it. They still won't give even if you need it desperately. They buy they they donate because of a vision. Like help them see the vision of what it is you're doing. And and then they'll donate. He's like you could desperately need bats or you can't play a game and people still won't donate. But if you can help them see how having these bats will really help these kids have a great summer, that's when they donate. And so for anybody out there fundraising, like you got to sell the vision. Help them connect their actions to improving these kids' lives because people want to help their local kids. They just do. It's, I think we're all wired that way. Yeah, I think it, it bleeds really well into a question I've asked some people before. I think I asked Casey this too, and he gave a, a pretty good answer. But um, I'll, I'll throw it your way too. Um, with local businesses and families and uh, community members, you know, why should they care about high school sports? Like, Why do, why do high school sports matter? So, you know, we're a small community and everybody I feel like in our community associates like being from here with being a warrior and businesses want to be seen as supporting being a warrior. You know, if you're in a huge city that's got all these different high schools, that might be a little bit harder of a sell. But here it's like we're warriors. If you live in Alta and Aurelia, that's what you are. And like our local gas station here in town, here's another idea. This doesn't, this goes to our booster club, but there is a gas pump. We have two gas stations in town and one of the pumps at one of the stations is called the warrior pride pump. And for every gallon of gas that's pumped on that pump, they give two cents of each gallon to our booster club Wow. or two cents of each dollar or whatever it is. Yeah. And I go out of my way to get gas at the warrior pride pump. Because I know that helps our sports here at Alta Aurelia. And um, that pump has a special graphic on it. It's pretty obvious. It's the our logos on it and all that stuff. And that's that's passive income. That doesn't You don't have to do anything. They just write us a check, I think, every fiscal quarter for whatever that pump generated for the booster club. And like, if you're a coach out there, like, go to your local gas station and see if you can get a pump as the, the Salem, you know, Saxon baseball pump. You know what I mean? And then... That's good. That business, that gas station gets more cars than they did before because a lot of us purposely go there to get that gas. So then what do you do? You go inside, yeah. you buy a soda, you buy a whatever. Um, so that's, that's another um, fundraising idea right there. I try to ask myself questions like, how do I fundraise that does not involve selling tins of cookie dough or popcorn? How do <laughs> I gosh, sell no something kidding. that people need? Like, like people need water softener salt. You just do. 
And if you don't have a softener, I don't have to waste my time even talking to you about it. You don't have to feel guilty about that you didn't buy a popcorn tin or whatever. With that water softener thing, I actually get more people come to me. They call me, hey, I heard you're selling salt. I need 10 bags or whatever. That's the best kind of fundraisers when you're providing a service and people actually come to you to do it. So I think for those coaches out there, ask yourself, what do people need and can we be the ones that provide it? Um, And if they have to pay a few extra dollars, if they know it's for the kids, they'll do it. I really think they will. Um, Something I'm trying to work on now, I didn't get it going, but I'm hoping in the future, you can get a local restaurant to either create a new meal on their menu or designate one as the South Salem Saxon meal or the whatever, and and tell them, hey, charge $2 more for that meal than you normally would and make it very clear that you're charging $2 more and that those $2 go to the baseball program. And then encourage people to go to that restaurant and order that meal because they're going to get, they're they're not the only person that's going to go to that restaurant. They'll get peripheral meals off of it as well. And by charging $2 extra, they're making the same amount of money they would have if they would have charged normally for that meal. And people might specifically order it and say, I'm fine giving that extra $2 to the baseball program. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) That's again, that's passive income for your team. You didn't have to really work for that. You just, and and then also that business gets a ton of advertising because you're going to tell everybody, you know, to go to that restaurant and order the, the slam dunk Saxon meal or the touchdown Saxon dinner, whatever it is, you know what I mean? And you help the business see that this is win-win. Like you're going to get foot traffic in business. You're going to get, you're going to help our team. And then also you're pulling in a, and listen, a few hundred dollars here or there makes a huge difference. That's a new bat. That's a bucket of balls. That's, you know what I mean? So just try to be really creative. I've had people tell me, you're probably in the wrong line of work. You need to sell used cars or something. <laughs> um, trying to think of um, anything else that we've done fundraiser wise. Right now for our stadium project, we're doing a $10,000 backyard makeover. Um, my assistant owns a landscaping company, another landscaping company in town. They got together and said, we want to run a raffle for you. We'll sell $100 tickets. We're only going to sell 300 tickets. The first 10,000 we take in, we'll cover the makeover. You guys can make 20,000 on this if you sell 300 tickets. Hmm. Um, so that's been going really well. We've been selling raffle tickets. Um, and that the school's not even running that raffle. Those businesses are. And I'm advertising the heck out of those two landscaping businesses in, in this raffle. And they're going to get they're going to get their name attached to doing a really cool thing to help us build a new stadium for the kids. So, yeah, it's awesome. That's what such a big part of high school sports is, is fundraising, finding money and connecting it to your program. Cause like you said, man, every little, every five bucks actually makes a huge difference. And it's really nice in baseball because you can, it's really easy to see that difference on the field because it's like, Hey, this, this baseball we're hitting right now, that was five bucks. That's yeah. what we just raised. One of the things we did for a while was, uh, barbecue pellets for like Traeger grills, wood-fired grills. Oh, nice. It's kind of similar to your water softener. Yeah, I'm stealing it was, that. It was the same sort of thing because it's like everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people have them. They're buying them anyway. Like you're saying, would you pay two extra bucks to help us make some money? And the answer is almost always yes, especially because we'll we'll deliver it to you. We'll bring it right to your door and we'll stack it for you. Uh, so really you know similar to the water softener thing. You know what's great about those pellets too is you know who has a Traeger because they like to tell you they have a Traeger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yes, they do. They're, they're tipping you <laughs> off in their conversations about grilling that they want you to sell them those pellets. 
that's right. They do. They do. Um, with the stadium project, I've also I, – I, I, Corey McDonald is a coach at New Hampton who did a stadium project, and he did a really successful alumni letter-writing campaign. And I've done that as well where I'm really just writing, A, a heartfelt letter to the alumni telling them where the program's been, where it's at, where it's going, and and how awesome this field's going to be and how we can use this field as a testament of what small-town Iowa can do for their kids and what alumni can give back to their program. And then I include a sheet that lays out exactly how to donate and also a sheet with all the 3D model images of what this field's going to look like so they can see it and and also like get them excited about the idea that how great would it be for the former players to say we had a hand in giving the current players the best possible stadium and again helping them see the vision and we've we've raised quite a bit of money off that as well just literally writing alumni letters and that takes a lot of work to track down addresses and and stuff like that. But a lot of them probably still live around your community. And then just send them a heartfelt letter saying like, you guys did awesome building this program. And here's how you can still build it, even though you're not wearing the uniform anymore. And it's amazing what people will give. Yeah, it's the really te- cool. The test drive idea came from Michael Barda at Johnston. I got to give him credit. I've tried to give everybody ah, credit right. where he <laughs> took these ideas from. So Barda was the one that did the test drive. I took that. So. He can have the one slice. Yeah, <laughs> one slice of credit. Well, uh, I I loved having you on, Brick. I think we could keep talking for a long time, and I should probably bring you on again because there's a lot of stuff I still would probably want to get into with you uh, that I know you have to to offer people. But um, uh, we'll kind of close up shop here in a second. But before we do it, if there's I don't know if there's one thing in particular that we missed or or one one piece of advice you'd want to just dole out or or anything like that before we we close up shop. But I'll just kind of hand the mic over to you one more time. Yeah, I would like to leave coaches out there with this. Like, learn from my mistake early on of trying to be a coach that I wasn't. Um, you got to be yourself. And when I came to Alta Aurelia, I said, you know, I hadn't had a ton of success at the other school. Um, we had a little bit, but it wasn't what I thought and it should have been. And I told my wife, I said, this is the last stop for me. If I can't succeed here, then I just have to swallow the bitter pill that maybe I'm not a good baseball coach. And if that's the way it's going to go, I have to go down knowing I was 100% myself this time and wasn't what I thought a coach should be or whatever. So I have here, I feel like I've really been myself. Like my natural bet max is to tell a player, Hey man, I love you. And I'm proud of you. Whereas before I was like, uh, you just got to be more of a drill sergeant and you got to be distant. And I, I am, I have make a lot of connections with parents. I stand up there at parent meetings and tell them I can't do this without you. And you can't do this without me because I can't get your kids to care about things like you can, and you can't teach them baseball because you don't have the time. And I tell them we are going to get these kids there together. And I, I've had parents text me and they're frustrated about something and it's kind of passive aggressive. And the old me would have said, just tell them to hit the road, you know, or give some like, well, I'm the head coach deal with it response. But instead now I'll text them and say, you seem upset about this. And I feel like we have a pretty good relationship. Why don't you tell me what it is you're upset about? Um, Let's just deal with this out in the open. And that's more my personality where instead of keeping parents always at an arm's length, I try to just welcome them into a conversation because I don't think in small town Iowa, I can succeed by putting up a barrier with parents. 
maybe at a, a really big program where it has more of almost a college feel, you have to operate that way. And I would say then do it. But for me, I go, my personality is relational. I try to tell my players every day, I love you and I'm proud of you. Um, we still have standards, but I'm not a screamer and a yeller. I'm not a drill sergeant. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to fail as a coach, I have to sleep well at night going, well, at least you were yourself. You didn't fail being somebody you weren't because then you'll have regret the rest of your life of maybe you would have succeeded if you'd have just leaned into your personality instead of away from it. So that's my advice to coaches out there. Be yourself. Kids respond to authenticity. If you're more, uh, you know, emotionless and detached and process, you know, task oriented, that's fine. Kids, Coach Dupic is that way and the kids absolutely love him. But I'm relational. And if I'm not relational, the kids will smell fakeness and then I can't connect with them. And then this whole thing's going to unravel. Uh, that's really good advice. That's advice I got early on in my career too, is to be yourself. And I think once you, once you start being yourself, because I'm kind of similar in that respect, it seems like just the hugging, I love you kind of guy. Uh, and I just find it to be so much more who I am. And I think players, like you mentioned earlier today, like teenagers being really good at telling if you're authentic or not. And I, I just, I found that to be really true. So and the, uh, times it's, it's I have, really good advice. the times I have to be hard on kids, I still couch it with, Hey man, I am telling you the absolute brutal truth right now because I love you and I care about you. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't mean that I don't tell you difficult things or hold you to standards or discipline you, but you have to understand I'm the same guy that puts his arm around you and says, how's mom and dad doing? How's the girlfriend? You guys still going that good? Whatever. You know, I'm the same guy who's sitting there going, you're benched today because of X, Y, and Z. And it's, I'm benching you because I love you and I can't tolerate it's not good for you to to slide and, and get by with this stuff. I'm the same guy. This is just my care for you is being demonstrated in two different ways. Yesterday, you were up, you were upholding standards. So we shot the breeze and talked about life. Today, you're not upholding the standards. And my care for you is you're going to have to suffer the consequences of this so that this doesn't become a behavior, if that makes sense. So don't misunderstand that being the relational guy means you don't hold people accountable or you're not tough on them ever. I'm glad you added that last part. I think that also gets put into it too. That's really good. Gold stuff. Uh, Burke, uh, you know, I, I love talking to you. We, we talk quite a bit and text quite a bit. Uh, I, I just wish you guys the best of luck as you continue your season this summer. And uh, and if you're, it's a Sunday today when we're recording this. So if you got any Stratomatic today, I hope it goes well. Thanks, man. Go Saxons, go Warriors. <laughs> Huge thank you to Ryan for having this conversation. Believe me, he has even more to share with the coaching community. I'm confident that we could have run that thing for five hours and you would have run out of space for your notepad. He's that good. But at some point, you got to click the stop button. Thanks again to Netic Pros for being such an amazing sponsor of the club. Love, Will, and everything the gang over there does. If you're looking for any type of facility improvement, you know who to call. If you could do a few things really quickly for me, I'd appreciate it a ton. First, if you haven't joined the club, go ahead and do that. It takes about 90 seconds to sign up. You'll be part of this club. It's a premier national organization, trainers, coaches, administrators, all sorts of people sign up. And you'll get the weekly newsletter sent straight to your inbox every single Wednesday morning. You can find that link down in the show notes. And if you wouldn't mind, it would mean a lot to me if you left a rating, possibly even a review, wherever you're listening to this. Lastly, a share goes a long way. So if you wouldn't mind taking a couple minutes to share this episode on social media, 
I would appreciate it so incredibly, very, very, very much. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. I've started booking tons of dates in June. Now I'm tons of dates deep in July, starting to get into August. It's been really exciting, but I'm still looking for more amazing coaches to have on the show. So if you could send me a recommendation, that would be fantastic. You can follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.